We are going to be in the book of Luke, so if you don't have a Bible, there should be one on the table somewhere around you. Please grab that one open to Luke. Also, if you haven't had a chance to fill out a communication card, if you've never received an email from us or you want more information about us, uh, take this time in the next couple minutes just to fill out one of those communication cards uh, and we will get started. Uh, Before we actually dive into the sermon, though, um, one really random thing, one pretty pertinent thing. Uh, I've seen a lot of Moe's cups. Did it, was it actually $4 off completely? Did this, this one do it? That's where I'm going for dinner. If you hadn't heard this, the, the Atlanta soccer team scored four goals yesterday, so you get a dollar off of your entree per goal, so you get $4. So that makes Ju- Joey Jr. like a buck fifty. Yes. Is it like unlimited? Does it not matter what, how many you get? Because I'm going to get like 12 burritos. It's going to be awesome. Um, The other thing, Kyle did kind of steal my thunder, but it's okay. Um, We want to talk everything about Sunday Gathering Move. Uh, We want to make sure everyone's on the same page. We're going to open up to any kind of questions, thoughts, comments, concerns, um, anything pertaining to a Sunday Gathering Move. So let me just kind of do a couple uh, quick things that will maybe get us going in that way. Um, We started this church in September of 2014, so about two and a half years ago. Um, the first three months of, t- of 2014 when we launched, we loved Sunday nights. Ever since then, we started just to kind of, it was like cousin that you kind of could extend for a little bit, and then it started getting uglier, and you just didn't like that cousin. That's what Sunday nights have become to my family. Uh, even though, like, we made the move, I told my wife, like, aren't you excited? She's like, I don't know, 10 o'clock's kind of early. It's like, girl, like, well, you, can't, you can't have it both ways. Um, so I know it's early, but we've been praying for this for a long time. Uh, I mentioned it last time. Where's Hamby at? Hamby, how many places do you think you contacted? Okay, so you want to put a number on that? Okay, so 15 places. Uh, I was joking with some friends, but like being dead serious, uh, we contemplated the funeral home. That's how far we said, how far would we go to get to Sunday morning location? Um, school system kind of told us no indirectly, directly. Uh, UNG kind of same thing. Very, I'm not trying to just, it, it was, was very passive aggressive, yes, no kind of deal. And so led us all to these different things. And um, basically what happened, we came to pay rent at the Lumpkin County Parks and Rec. And we said, hey, uh, just curious, how hard would it be for us to move to the gym on Sunday mornings? And her response literally was, no problem at all. When do you want to start? Like, really? So we've looked everywhere else. And where we meet right now is wide open. Um, so we've been praying for this. We've been looking for a long time. Um, so here's just kind of the heartbeat behind it. Um, when we started the church, we always wanted to aggressively go after college students. Not many churches do. So um, we were never going to be a sole college church, but we want to be unapologetic going after the college. Um, so that's one of the reasons we started Sunday nights. We were going to push that direction because we knew it would be more college friendly. Um, two, just trying to find a venue on Sunday mornings when we first got here was hard as well. Uh, but as time has gone on, it's as we've gained more of a family base, uh, I wish I could tell you how many conversations I had that said, hey, when, we would love to get involved with what the branch is doing, uh, but we, we just can't. The Sunday nights with our young family just doesn't work for us right now, um, which is funny because we posted that video on Facebook, and almost every person I've had that conversation with liked that video. So I'm like, okay, there's, there's some truth in that. Um, so I think that it's going to be able to take this ministry, what the Lord is doing, and open it up to a little bit more people um, that maybe Sunday nights just wasn't a good fit for them. Uh, like Kyle alluded to, uh, yes, we understand that for some college students, this is going to be kind of a buzzkill. Um, this is going to be before you could have your cake and eat it too. Yes, a pastor could say buzzkill, get over it. Um, you could have your cake, you could go home and eat and do all that, go to church with your family, and then come back up Sunday nights. And So here's just my petition for you. Um, would you consider this place home for the next four years? Um, you're here 85 to 90% of the week anyways. Um, would you invest your life more into Dahlonega, make your weekends count here more in Dahlonega, uh, and stick around? There's tons of ministry to take place here. So would you maybe consider as we make this move to stick with us um, and to get more involved into the community of Dahlonega? Um, a couple other things um, <clears throat> just for us to know. Uh, today, weather is perfect, Right? Can I get an amen on that? Um, I think one of the things that's going to take place is going to be how we can go from here and have a gathering in the morning and all the community that's going to generate after this. Because um, for my family specifically, we've got bedtime in an hour and 15 minutes after I say amen here. So we don't have time to eat dinner with anybody. We don't have time to go to the park. We've got to go home, get baths, get beds, get some spankings in there just for good measure, and then put them to bed. And so this will allow us to have more community. We get out at 1230 is when our rent's going to end. Uh, then the sky's the limit. What do we want to do? 
Um, since we've launched here, I've never been able to watch the endings of the Masters. Okay, just lay that out there. That's been a big issue for me. Um, we start on April 9th. Coincidence, Providence, I'm just saying. So that night, we're going to have a huge Masters watching party somewhere because we can. Is that not awesome? Um, the whole time I've been preaching, the last two years on the final Master Sunday, I'm watching it on my phone as I'm preaching. Uh, you didn't know that, now you know. So, uh, and I think it'll generate, I don't think, I know it'll generate a ton more community for us as we finish here than we've got the rest of the afternoon to spend together. Uh, also, it's going to have more opportunity for intentional training, uh, for some discipleship, for more leadership developments on Sunday nights. Um, we're not going to cancel and move everything to Sunday mornings just so we can overload Sunday nights. I'm not saying that. But maybe once a month we can have more time for leadership training, leadership development, maybe some evangelism stuff. Just opens the doors more for resourcing and equipping you guys on the move to Sunday mornings, where a lot of times we tried to do some stuff on Sunday mornings that just didn't work. Um, so I know I'm trying to paint a pretty picture about this, uh, but I know, I mean, statistically, any kind of move a church makes, there's going to be some fallout. Um, and we've prayed through that, we've considered that, and uh, we hate it, but we hope that all you guys make the move with us. And so here's just a couple statistical, or not statistical, but um, yes, things that we need to cover. Uh, April 9th is going to be the official move. So we've got next Sunday in here at 5 o'clock, then the next Sunday in here at 5 o'clock, then April 9th, we will not have a Sunday evening gathering. Everyone look at me, because I do not want anyone showing up. April 9th, there will be not be a gathering in here. We will officially make the move. Um, invite your friends, invite your family, that's great, but we're kind of using April 9th as a dress rehearsal, if you will, because there's a lot of unknowns moving into the gym. We've set up the sound system, um, we've got a general layout of how we want it to look, and we've tested and EQ'd, and it's going to sound good in there, uh, but at the end of the day, we've never actually set up all of our equipment in the gym. So April 9th has the potential to go really, really, really bad. Just throwing that out there. Um, like, it just might fall on its face. So invite your friends, invite your family. But if you invite people to the night, let them know, hey, just so you know, this is a practice run for us. This is a trial run. Come get to know the community. Come get to know the family. But this is just practice. Don't judge us by this. And um, we will officially launch on that next Sunday, which is Easter. On April 16th will be the official kickoff of this Sunday morning location. So everything will be, hopefully, Lord willing, everything will be fine on the 9th. Um, we'll still have worship, teaching, communion, all that kind of stuff. But we'll have all the kinks worked out that weekend and officially launch on the 16th. Does that make sense? Um, all we've said on social media and all that has always said, hey, the 9th, the 9th, the 9th, which is true. Um, but we're really going to kick it off on Easter Sunday, the 16th. Um, with that being said, um, we're also hoping, I think we've got three or four already lined up, to do some baptisms on Easter Sunday. So if that's something that you've never done, you want more information about, you've got questions on, please come talk to me. Let me know. We'll talk to you about it. We've got about a month to kind of work through, make sure there's some confirmation in there. Um, and so we can have some baptisms on Easter Sunday as well. Um, depending on the river, we might just do it up here, but typically and historically, we'll go down to Yahula Creek and do baptisms at the river, and it's just a fun time down there. It's always freezing. Is Alex here? No, Alex got baptized in November, which was awesome. Um, dude's a champ. He really loves Jesus. So um, so that's kind of the, the, the structure of moving forward. So two more Sunday nights in here. April 9th will be kind of the dress rehearsal. April 16th on Easter will be the official kickoff of our Sunday morning. Um, uh, one, one big way, well, two big ways for you guys to get involved. April 9th, April 16th, and April 23rd. Um, right now, we do set up and tear downs by our missional communities. We're asking everyone to show up on April 9th, April 16th, and April 23rd to help us figure out what is set up really going to take. Um, all these tables and chairs that you see are going to have to be moved from this room to the gym and back. Um, we have purchased our own floor covering, so we're going to have to drag out our own floor covering to cover the gym floor. Um, so there's going to be more set up and tear down than what we normally do now. That being said, without having a dress rehearsal until April 9th, uh, we don't know what it's going to require. We don't know what it's going to take. We have a good idea. Uh, but the easiest way is just to get everyone there at the same time, um, get up 30, 40 people to help us set up the first couple Sundays, and we can kind of go from there. Um, here's the most exciting part of that. Exciting part, I can't even honestly say that. I'm lying out of my teeth and God is stopping me from saying the most exciting part because it's going to be at 7.30 in the morning. Um, so I can't even like, oh, that's so exciting. I cannot tell a lie, no. 
Um, so we're going to start set up, especially in the beginning, at 7.30 in the morning. Um, our service time will be at 10 o'clock. And then um, a lot of that has to be, there's another church that meets, if you close this accordion wall, they meet in here at 10.30. So we want to honor them. They were here before us. We want to honor them by kind of staggering it. So we're almost done with all of our worship by the time they start. And just keep a good relationship among brothers. Um, so we'll be starting at 10 o'clock, which means the trailer will get here at 7.30 and everything will be unloaded at that point. So those first couple of weeks, we're asking just anybody and everybody to get there at 7.30. We'll have some coffee or desserts, or not desserts, maybe whatever gets your blood sugar going. Um, but we'll have some snacks for you guys to, just to try to encourage you and bribe you to come help us set up. Um, with that being said, the last thing I want you guys to start doing <coughs> is really start praying. Um, this is obvious the Lord has led us in this direction. It's obvious that what he's doing and how things have been falling into place. And so we're just excited. We think this is the next chapter for the church, uh, moving to Sunday mornings. Um, but with this, we don't want to change who we are either. Um, we don't want, like Kyle mentioned earlier, the Sunday gathering is only one third of what we do. So we don't want to get into a Sunday morning spot and feel like we've arrived by any means. That's nothing that has nothing to do with it. It's just a better spot for families to come to. Uh, but we never want to make this what happens in this room primary. Uh, we'll talk about it later. That's 26,000 people around a 20-minute drive of us that don't know Jesus. Statistically, only 60 to or 40 to 30% of these people are ever going to come to a Sunday service. Um, so the majority of our ministry has to take place outside of a gathering. And so uh, we don't want to change who we are, but we think that this will be better for us in the long run getting to a Sunday morning location. Uh, so here's what I want to do. I've kind of built in a shorter sermon for tonight because um, I want us to talk through any, any and every option, thought, question you guys have um, and then spend a couple moments just praying about the move and then we will get diving into Luke chapter 8. Um, so any, any thoughts, any questions, anything before we move on? Do we need to call to a business meeting? Nope, okay, good. Speak now or forever hold your peace. Am I that great of a communicator that answered all your questions? Mm. Watch it, Thumper. <laughs> Easter's coming. <laughs> Any, I mean, seriously, anything? Any thoughts? Service will start at 10, hope to be done by 11.15, 11.30, and then we will have the trailer, everything loaded up, and be out by 12.30. Here's some things you should be asking. Okay, Gabe, so what are we going to do during the summer when a lot of the college students leave? That's a great question. Uh, nothing. One of the things for our church, the health of our church, the sustainability of the church has to be, that, and, I, and Kayla coined this probably a year ago, that we cannot change everything that we do when college students leave town. Um, we've got to be a church that keeps moving and keeps pursuing the community and the town and the campus. Um, so the prayer is nothing. Nothing will change when we get to the summer We'll keep doing it. There'll be a couple Sundays that we might take off and do a gathering, maybe at the park or maybe at the lake, stuff like that. Um, but we're going to keep going, keep doing just as we go through the summer. Good question. What else? Any other questions? Thank you. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, so we, we'll be rolling that out soon. The question is generated right now. The youth meets before. We'll not meet before, um, and it will meet after, but we're, there's a couple kinks we've got to work out with that. Uh, but it will gather after deer and teardown. Um, but, yeah, your husband's got more information. Where's Ricky at? Okay. Sure. Yep, so the question is, what are we going to do with youth? Currently, right now, youth meets 30 minutes before. Uh, 30 minutes before will be 9.30, and so we've thrown around some different options, but we will be finalizing that before the night. Anything else? Are we good? Is everybody excited? Who's mad at me for doing this? <laughs> I love the honesty. The, the, the boys are like, yeah, I'm a little mad, bro. I'm a little mad, like. Sunday was my day to sleep in. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> exactly, yeah. It's good. I, I understand it. Um, it. It will be a big difference in a lot of different ways. Um, it'll take a while to get adjusted to it, but we really feel like this is the way the Lord's led us. And uh, if it's not and we fall on our face, then we'll always move back to Sunday nights. Maybe we'll just rent both rooms for a while. That way no one can touch it. <laughs> just kidding. Anything else? Yes. What? Yes, 100%. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, here's to the, to the point, and, I, and I'll be very direct with Carlton, um, well, with everyone, but to Carlton's question. To the point where I told my wife, if we don't get to Sunday morning location in a year, I've got to figure something out. Uh, it's gotten to the point for our family, as young as we are, that Sunday nights was just not working. Um, and we felt like we had no real community on Sundays because we were getting in and out as fast as we could. And so uh, it was getting to a point of desperation for us to the point where I said, if, if we haven't moved to Sunday mornings in a year, like something, something might have to change. So, yes, I'm 230% sold on it. Do what? No, 235.7. <laughs> cool. Anything else? Uh, does anyone want to pray for the move and the new spot and all that for us before we dive into Luke? Amen. All right, so open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We'll be picking up tonight in verse 19. Luke chapter 8, verse 19. And we've been going through Luke. We've been going basically up until now trying to hit um, a chapter every two weeks. Um, got really convicted. One of my friends kind of called me out on this, like, why are you moving through so fast when you're skipping over really good stuff? Uh, I had no real answer for him, so we're going to slow down with Luke. It might take longer than two years now, uh, but we really want to digest who this guy is, Jesus. Now, everything in our faith is built around Jesus Christ. We better take some time to get to know him. Um, and so we've entitled this series A Meal with Jesus because um, in Luke, it's said that Jesus is either at a meal, going to a meal, or coming from a meal. Um, so a lot ha happens and takes place around a meal. This is when Jesus chooses to do the majority of his teaching. And so we want to slow down and, and what would it look like to have a meal with Jesus, to be able to ask the questions, sit under his teaching, and just get to sit and listen. Um, and so tonight we're going to hit um, probably a, a pretty short passage, not probably, realistically. Um, last week we hit about 18 verses. This week we're going to hit three um, but from this, I think the Lord's really going to speak. It was um, honestly a, a scripture I was going to skip over, um, but over the past couple weeks getting ready for the sermons, um, this one just kept rocking me, so we're going to camp out at this one tonight. Um, but first, who, let me ask you this, uh, who ran in high school in a different crowd than you do now? So like the person you were in high school, like you're kind of ashamed, embarrassed of that guy. I love it. There's some honesty going on. So um, I have an older brother. He's two years older than me or three years older than me, but looks younger. Um, two grades above me. He was in kind of like the, he had the, all the, the rice burner, the Honda, lowered ground effects, all that stuff. Uh, I was in like two clicks. I was in the drum line, not the band, the drum line. It's a separate thing. Uh, but then I also was in like the redneck crew. We had lifted trucks and yeah, yeehaw and all that kind of stuff. Um, a little embarrassing looking back on it, but it's good. I, I like those guys. Those are my people. And so um, because of that, we ran in two totally different circles. So there was a time where uh, my brother's girlfriend dumped him and started dating one of my good friends, uh, put me in a little bit of a pickle um, because it was looked and appeared upon whose side are you going to take? Are you going to choose your friend's side or are you going to choose your brother's side? And so my solution was like, I didn't really like the girl to begin with, so I'm not taking sides. Like y'all are fighting over a pig, man. Like it doesn't matter to me. Um, well, that, oh gosh, we podcast now. Oops. 
I hope she never listens to that one. Um, <laughs> at least I didn't use her name, right? If she calls, like, hey, were you talking about me? I'm like, no, somebody else. I don't know what you're talking about. So anyways, uh, I didn't really care. It was just like you fight it out with on you. So I was driving down the road. My brother had one of those super fast lowered Hondas, and I remember him screaming at me, um, remember, blood is thicker than water. He's flying way too fast, probably could have killed me. And I just remember sitting there going, what does that even mean? Like, blood is thicker than water. I have n- literally no idea what you're talking about. And so I just got curious as we started getting into the sermon, because I read a quote about this. Um, and, and that saying kind of goes back to um, war times, when they would talk about the blood of your soldiers. So, I mean, you're wo- going through war, uh, people are being shot left and right. The blood splatter, the, the blood of your friends on that battlefield is thicker than the water that came um, from childbirth. So the water that you were born out of, if you didn't know that, go home and Google it. The water that you're born out of um, is not as thick as the blood, the relationships that take place on the battlefield. If you ever talking to anybody that's gone to war, um, a lot of these guys show up, they'll go through boot camp, don't really like the guys that are going through boot camp, but the moment they come home from war, you can't separate those guys. What they've seen, what they've experienced generates more family among that community than their actual birth. So what we're going to see tonight is Jesus is establishing a new family among us um, that if we walk into this new identity, it's going to be closer than the birth, uh, of birth families that we have around us. So like I said, this is going to be really short. Luke 18, 19 through 21 is where we're going to land. And like I said, this is going to be a little shorter. I left some, some time for the beginning for questions. If you have more questions that we didn't get into, and you were just maybe not comfortable raising your hand in a group of 60 people, just write it on your communication card and drop it in. We want to make sure that there's complete transparency through this process. So just make sure you get that question to us one way or another. Uh, Luke 18, picking up in verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. Verse 20, and he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. My mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. So let's pray as we dive into this short text. Um, Father, we pray tonight that you would just speak to us. Um, God, that tonight we would understand our identity in this new family that you've brought us into. God, we would understand what it means for us to walk in, in this new family. What does it mean for us to walk in our new identity as truly being sons and daughters to the king? So God, we love you, but thank you for loving us. Would you illuminate this text for us tonight? That's your name we pray. Amen. Now, as we're getting started, this probably, if, you're, uh, if you have any kind of family background, this was kind of maybe an insult. Um, maybe something that strikes you a little bit weird, but we've got to understand the context of where we're coming from. Um, last week, we talked about the parable of the sower, right? Uh, a lot of you guys weren't here. We do have a podcast. You can go check it out. Um, but the premise is God is throwing out the seed, right? God is throwing out the word of him out, and it was landing on bad soil. It was landing on the path. It was landing on uh, thorny soil, rocky soil, and good soil. So he says, I'm the good farmer. I'm the good sower. I'm throwing out seed. I'm throwing out the word of God, and it's going to land on different people, and depending on where it lands, that's how it's going to grow. And so we talked about um, the difference between the path, the difference between the rocky soil, and the thorny soil is a plow. That all those soils could become good, fertile soil if we just pray to the God of the harvest, say, would you plow over my heart? Would you get the stones of my heart out? Would you cut down these weeds? Would you plow out my heart so that I could produce good fruit for your name? And so as we keep going, he's teaching us, he's still with the same crowd, and then jumps right into uh, 320, or uh, excuse me, jumps right into 19, where his mothers and brothers can't get to him. And this, this same story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's left out in John. Um, those three are called the Synoptic Gospels, it's in all three of those. And 321 of Mark says a little bit different, um, because they come to him and they try to seize him. So Jesus is starting his ministry. His brothers come out to him and try to seize him, try to take him away. There's a couple different reasons, a couple different theories we could throw out there. Uh, One, they might have thought he was crazy. Mary might have forgotten all that was prophesied over her son, all that took place at his birth roughly 30 years later. She'd forgotten all about that and thought, my son's crazy. 
Like he's going out there, he's doing all these weird, he's got to be possessed. Something's not right with him. My son is crazy, but, but probably what's really happening is she knows that he's starting the ministry that's going to kill him. That he, she, he is starting off, he is calling out the Pharisee leaders, he's calling out everyone, he is bringing people to himself, he's doing all these miracles. She knows this is the start of the finish for him. That sooner rather than later, this is going to get him killed because that's what was prophesied over him. She knew her Old Testament. She knew Isaiah. She knew what was going to take place, that the Son of Man came to seek and save, which was lost. And in the end, it was going to kill him. So part of this is Mary's coming in. You've got to understand, and the brothers are coming in and saying, like, hey, Jesus, come on, man. Like, let's, let's settle down. Would you, would you calm down just a little bit? This is going to get you killed. This is message is going to get you killed. He said, no, I've got a priority here. I've got a limited time, amount of time on this earth. I've got to get busy. Because these people around me, I've got to get the message of the gospel out. I've got to get this message out. Uh, how, how frequently are we thinking that thought? I have a limited amount of time here. I've got to get this message out. Whether it gets me killed or not, I've got to get it out. And so as we keep going through this, um, the next part which strikes us is maybe a little weird, maybe a little not, is uh, the family aspect of it. I mean, could you picture Jesus saying something uh, like this, that you're not my mother and you're not my brothers. The people that are my mother and my brothers are the ones that hear the word of God and do it. Now, I'm just saying I've heard 12-year-old girls talk worse to their parents than what Jesus said. Um, but in the context of what's happening here, family was it. Family was literally everything in those days. Um, you didn't get a job and get a promotion and go somewhere else. When you got married, the groom would build on to the parent's house existing. Right, so you didn't get your own place. You didn't go move to, to the next state over to chase that career. You stayed there. The mother would continue doing um, the work of her mother. The sons would pick up the work of their fathers. We see this in the disciples, right? That the fishermen, they were fishers. Fishers, what am I trying to say? Fishermen that Jesus turned into fishers of men. There we go. Um, so you just kind of did the same work as your family. So family in that day meant something totally different than family in this day. So there's just kind of a, ooh, going on in this room when Jesus throws out this statement. Again, a crowded room. I mean, so crowded that he had to get like uh, a five-year-old, like Auburn size, to go crawl through the crowd to get to Jesus and say, hey, your brothers and your mother are out here to talk to you. So family is everything. So him to throw that out was kind of a big deal. But one of the big things that happened in this room was the availability that Jesus just opened up. See, you've got, if you know anything about your Old Testament, you've got this chosen people, the Jewish race that God has chosen into. And so they're growing, they're going, um, they're wandering through the desert. This is God's chosen people. But then when Jesus shows up, he says, no, listen, um, here's my family. It doesn't matter what your race, it doesn't matter what your background is. My, everyone can be a part of this family as long as you hear my word and you do it. So you've got these Pharisees that are having um, a lot of frustration and anger towards Jesus. And, and these are the guys going, like, listen, I've done everything right. I should be first in the line. Uh, why is this Gentile? Why are these pagans? Why are these sinners first in the line? So Jesus in this act is opening up the gospel to everyone. He's the first one to do this. This message just isn't for the Jews. It's for the Jews and the Gentiles. He's saying everyone's in. If you want to be a part of this family, everyone's in. Jesus always had a crowd around him. Did the Pharisees have a crowd around him? Never. So Jesus is saying, this family, I know you guys want in, and you have availability to this family. Uh, but the last one, and, and I know I want to camp out here before we start talking about this, the actual text. Because, okay, just raise your hand if you grew up in church. Okay, raise your hand if you grew up in the South. Okay. So there's this natural um, tendency to legalism everywhere we go. And here's just the general broad definition of legalism. If I do enough good things, then God will love me. If I do this and this and this, God will love me. All I have to do is be moral, don't lie, don't cuss, don't steal, um, don't drink too much, don't watch rated R movies, all this kind of stuff. If I do all of this, then Jesus will love me. So we turn into this morality police. And so we get to texts like these where he says, um, you'll be my mother and my brothers to those who hear the word and do it. What does that sound like to you? Just first glance, sounds like morality, doesn't it? If you hear what I say and you do it, then you can be in my family. 
So the flip side of that would be, if you don't pay attention, if you don't do what I ask you to do, you're out. So this is where a lot of this fear-mongering comes in. Like, am I really saved or am I not? Do I really have a 51% of my deeds, good deeds enough to get me into heaven, uh, or are they not? Which one is it? And so you could teach this from a perspective where, I mean, if I wanted to, I could say, listen, um, my brothers are the ones who hear the word of God and do it. Now, church, let me tell you, God has told you to tithe. If you want to be a brother, if you want to be in heaven, get out your checkbook right now. Let's do this. What are you waiting on? I guess hell's okay for some of you guys. Oh, you're not here? No. So we can take this text and we can misinterpret it, right? Um, I think one of the things that we don't really do is read in between the lines of Scripture. What does Jesus have around him? Someone tell me, what does Jesus have around him? A massive crowd that's following him everywhere. Why does he have a massive crowd that's following everywhere? Because all the miracles he's performing, the way he's teaching, the way he's loving on people, uh, no king, no prophet, uh, no whatever you want to label, you want to put at him in this part of his ministry, no one has ever done the things that he's doing. So these people, the affection for Jesus is already there. This is the secondary part. Don't miss that. The affection and the love for Jesus Christ is already there. This is secondary. What we always want to do as a church is focus on the secondary, thinking the primary will come. It's like walking into a marriage going, I don't really love this person, but maybe if I had to stick around long enough and I serve this person long enough, uh, maybe that affection will start coming. That's a horrible idea. Don't do that. Don't, we were at a wedding yesterday. If I would have done the premarital counseling for that wedding um, and the guy said, hey, listen, uh, just being honest with you, man, I don't really love her, but I know she's lonely and like, I'm just thinking that maybe if I stay around long enough and I serve her and I take care of her and I provide for her, then maybe those feelings, maybe that affection will come one day. But they're not right here. But we're still going to get married next week. You good with that? No, you fool. That's like the opposite of what it is. But we always do that with Christ. We have no real love, no real affection for the person and work of Jesus Christ. All we know is I don't want to go to hell, so I better do what he asked me to do. I know Jesus is the way to heaven. I don't really know anything about him. I don't know much about his character, about his love, about his goodness, about his grace. All I know is he gets me to heaven, so I need to do what's in this book so that he can get me to heaven. Well, if all we're doing is doing rules, then isn't there some kind of way that, that we can get to heaven apart from Christ? And this is where the argument Paul starts throwing out there, like, if we could follow everything, if we could follow the law, then why did Jesus have to die? Christ died because we can't. So we've got to start fo or stop focusing on the secondary and focus on the primary, which is Christ. We cannot mistake this for saying, listen, uh, to be a Christian, to be a, I've got to be obedient. If I'm not obedient, I'm not a Christian. But if I'm obedient, I'm a Christian. Okay, I got it. Let's do this thing. I'm a Christian. I'm obedient. Crap. I messed up. I'm not obedient anymore. Am I a Christian? And we can kind of like, oh, wait, I've had tons of counseling sessions that are surrounded around that one question. How far is too far? When do I lose my salvation? Can I be disobedient enough, even though I still believe Jesus is good and I still love him, can I be disobedient enough to lose that salvation? Because we're focusing on the works part of it, we're forgetting about the grace part of it. Uh, so flip over to John real fast. I want you guys to see this, underline this text before we go any further. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we're going to start off in verse 28. John 6, 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do to be doing the works of God? Great question. Verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who has sent. He has sent. Okay. This is the work of God that you have faith. This is the work of God that you believe. So the work is not the way that we contemporarily think about work of um, effort and trying and doing all these good deeds. John is clearly laying out for us, this is the work to have faith, to trust, to believe in him. So that if we believe in him so much so 
that the works that he's talking about will just be secondary. Here's what I mean. Uh, Grady is now a motorcycle fiend. He's about to be three. If you ever see him, my, my three-year-old, um, he's going to be running around this room pretending like he's on a dirt bike. Uh, at any point, if he's just standing there, if I count down three, two, one, go, doesn't matter where we are, what we're doing, he's on his dirt bike and he's going. If I brought him in here right now, that's what he would do. Well, six months ago, he wouldn't even touch a dirt bike. He hated the noise, everything about it, four-wheelers, motorcycles, everything. He loved the idea, the concept of it, but he would never actually get on one. And so um, him and I have a great relationship. The affection is there. He knows that I love him. So when I would try to put him on a dirt bike, when I try to put him in that situation, all I would be doing is saying, hey, I love you. Remember that. Do you think I would harm you? No, remember that. I love you, Grady. Get on this. I know that this thing is going to bring you joy. I love you. Do this. And finally, everything clicked and he started taking off. But see, it's not the other way around. I'm not saying, Grady, if you don't get on that dirt bike, I'm not going to love you anymore. And we think about our relationship with the Father, that's, what we, that's how we start to interpret it. That if I don't do what he's asking me to do, then he doesn't love me anymore and the relationship is over. And a lot of it probably comes stems from a, a horrible upbringing. So we interpret this, if I don't do what God is telling me to do, then our relationship is over. But I'm begging you, look at it the other way where he's pushing, where he's prodding you to be obedient, he's doing that for your joy. He's doing this so that you would get the most out of life, that the things we chase today are not going to bring any fulfillment, not going to bring any joy. So when we're talking about obedience, he's asking you to be obedient because that's where true joy is found. That's where true joy is found. So we cannot, before we go any further, we cannot misinterpret this text to say that the way we get into God's family is by being perfectly obedient. If we're not obedient, we're kicked out of God's family. The way to be into God's family is to believe in half faith that he is who he says he is, that he is the Savior, that he has died, and that he has defeated death for your sin. That is the work that he's talking about here. Everything else is just secondary. I'll, I'll maybe put it this way. How many people have worked for a horrible boss? You just hate the guy to death. Matthew, thanks for not raising your hand. Kyle did, and he's fired. <laughs> right? You just had that. But how many people have worked for a really, really good boss? Was the motivation for the good boss to keep your job or because you loved your boss and wanted to work hard for him? Was the motivation for the bad boss that I mean, if I don't do my job, I'm fired? How does that correlate over with the father? So we see from this text, and this, is, this should start to blow our mind, that we are part of God's family. So what does this mean for us? Um, that my mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. The word of God, the works that he's talking about is have faith that Jesus is who he says he is. So what does this new family start to look like? Well, the first one is just simply this. Welcome to the family. What, like, this, is, this should start blowing our mind a little bit. And I've got a couple, we're going to be flipping here in a minute because I'm going to drop a bomb that some of you are probably going to go, uh, I don't know if that's right. If God is our Father, then who's Jesus? If God is our Father, right? Just let's follow this family tree. And we're sons of God, we're daughters of God. Where does Jesus fit into this whole thing? Feeling a little uncomfortable, are we? Uh, flip over to Galatians. Flip over to Galatians 3. Like I said, there's going to be some flipping because I want you to see this. Galatians 3, 26. We're going to be in Galatians, Romans, and Hebrews. I'll say real quick who was raised in the church with the little Bible drills. Flip in real quick. Uh, Galatians 3.26. For in Christ Jesus, you all are sons of God through faith. So if we're through faith, we're sons of God. So that's the work that he's talking about. If we're obedient, that means we're obedient because of faith. So because of that faith, we're all sons and daughters of God. Okay? So if you're a Christian in this room, you are now a son and daughter of God the King. We tracking so far. All right, flip over to Romans 8. Romans 8, 29. There's a word in here some people are going to freak out about. Just, just read it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't let that distract from the point. Romans 8, 29. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. God is king. Is scripture really trying to tell us that Jesus is our elder brother? God is king. God is father. Where does Jesus fit into this? If we're part of the family, where does Jesus fit into this? Well, Romans would argue that he's brother. Now flip over to Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, 10 through 11. This will be the last one. I I want you guys to see this. Hebrews 2, excuse me, 10 through 11. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Verse 11. For he who sanctifies Jesus, those who are being sanctified all have one source, God. This is why he's not ashamed to call them us brothers. So Jesus is sanctifying, all have one source, which is God. That's why he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Okay, so let's just flesh this out for a second. Because this is, again, if we're talking about being in the family of God, God is our father, Jesus is our elder brother, what do we have to be afraid of? If I've got a God that loves me and protects me, and I've got an elder brother that loves me and is going to fight for me, and I have to have the Holy Spirit who's my helper, literally what do I have to be afraid of? What can touch me? When I have God as the Father, when I have Jesus as my elder brother, and the Holy Spirit as my helper, seriously, does that make me untouchable or what? Does that make us untouchable or what? Now, I'm not saying, and this is where we have to be really careful, Jesus is my brother. Like, No, he can still smite you, all right? He's that brother that you don't pick with. He's that brother that's like, I will destroy you now. We will probably all have that brother, right? But still, we have to understand, if we're going to be part of this family, if we're welcomed into this family, what does it feel like to know that God, the God of everything is our Father, and we have a brother that is untouchable, that defeated death. We have a spirit that is our helper that guides us and speaks to us. Seriously, what are we afraid of? What can touch us? I'm going to move quickly because I'm going a little long. Um, The next part we have to see. Do you see yourself as a member of God's family or just an observant of God's family? And I was going to do this really cheesy illustration, but we'll skip over it. Um, You guys know when you walk into a house and they've got that really weird oil painting of the whole family, right? And you just kind of stand there and stare. It's like, man, that's a really ugly picture. Do you know how ugly your kids are, bro? Have you ever been to that house that has that picture? Uh, If you haven't, you should go find one. They're great. Take a picture of it. Like, just keep it as a screensaver. Um, When you walk into that room, there's one thing that when you see that picture and go, oh yeah, that's someone else's family, but it's a whole other thing to walk in and see yourself in that painting, not realizing that you're the ugly one that people make fun of. When you picture God's family, are you an observant of that family or are you in that picture? When you think about, when you picture that painting of God as the Father, Jesus as the elder brother, the Spirit as the helper, are you just sitting there observing that painting? Are you looking out from inside that painting? Have you actually embraced your new identity as being a son or daughter of the king? Which one is it? When you're picturing this, when you're thinking about this, are you looking at the painting? Are you, are you seeing yourself in the painting? And this is huge for us. This is huge as we start to wrestle with this identity that we have in Christ. Because if we just are observant to it, then we are missing out on the power of what it means to be a family. The next one. Um, This creates a family out of all of us. Everyone in this room now, you have a family. Uh, There's a guy named Jordan Clark who got married yesterday, was part of the branch for a little while, uh, went up to Arkansas to get married. Um, And he came from a background where he was adopted, um, didn't really know some of the family members. It was just kind of a a different situation for Jordan. I mean, what Jordan did, which just blew me away, he found so much refuge in his church family. In the community that he ran with, in the friends that he had that were the church, that was his family. 
that he understood uh, from another level I don't, I don't have the ability to have. I mean, my parents are still here. They're still married. They're still good. Rose, uh, grew up in a pretty decent home. But for Jordan, that wasn't the situation. So he really latched onto the church as his family. And, and what if we started to look ourselves like that? There are 59 one another's in the New Testament, right? Uh, love one another, serve one another, be served by one another, um, honor one another, live in harmony, forgive one another, show compassion to one another. I'm not going to read all of them. Uh, but there's clear in the New Testament tons of commandments for one another's meaning inside the church. So if we understand that God is our Father, that Jesus is our elder brother, we have the Holy Spirit as the helper, uh, that we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, why would anyone want to be part of a dysfunctional family? If we're not loving each other like Christ loved us, why would anyone want to come into this? If we don't understand our identity as brothers and sisters in Christ, and if we don't understand the 59 one another's that we serve, we love, we have compassion, we forgive, then just hypothetically, why do you think people would want to get involved with this family? Now, I know, I know for a fact uh, that family has a really weird connotation for some of us. Um, the church, we're the branch, we're the gospel-centered community living on mission. Uh, for about three months, we argued over this word community or family. Are we going to be a gospel-centered community living on mission, or are we going to be a gospel-centered family living on mission? And the team that we had at the time made the decision to go with community because some of the feelings that come wrong with family. But I think that is a word that the church has to redeem. I think that if we are truly the family of Christ, that is a word that we have to redeem. It doesn't matter what your earthly family is like. Come get involved with the family of Christ, and we'll show you what real community looks like. We'll show you what real family looks like has a huge charge for us. And the last one is this. Uh, we have a family that will never leave. Galatians 4 uh, has just been, really since we talked through Galatians last year, uh, has been a verse and a book and a chapter, all of it together, that has just rocked me. I keep going back to Galatians constantly. And one of the, one of the huge pillars of Galatians that Paul brings out in Galatians and Romans is this idea of adoption. That Christ has adopted us that we were helpless, that we could do nothing to save ourselves, we could do nothing to choose him, but in, in his goodness and his grace and in his love, he's adopted us into the family. So the reason that he calls us sons and daughters is because of his grace. By Jesus dying on the cross, that's why we can be called sons and daughters. And that adoption is final. There's nothing we can do to lose that adoption. There's nothing that we can do once God has called us, once we are sons and daughters, that is final. So when I started thinking about the idea that blood is sicker than water, it just got me thinking that, that the blood of the cross is thicker than the water of the womb. So that when we take communion tonight, uh, what if we started walking in this new identity that the blood of the cross, as we take communion, we rip his body, we dip it in the blood, which is juice, it's not really blood. We dip it into the juice that represents his blood. And what if we just started to remember that that blood, the blood of the cross, is thicker than any water of the womb, that we start walking in our new identity as sons and daughters to the king, that Jesus has welcomed us into this family. Have you guys a thought to ponder? He didn't have to do that. That he could have justified us, he could have forgiven us our sins and said, leave me alone, go do your own thing. I'm God, get away from me. I pardon you, you're fine, now go play and leave me alone. He didn't do that. He forgave us. He justified us. And then he adopted us into the family. So tonight, as we close, I just want us to wrestle with that as we take communion. That the blood of the cross is thicker than the water of the womb. That even if we have a good family background, Christ's blood is thicker. Even if we're coming from maybe not a good family background, Christ's blood is thicker. You have hope in the new family that you're walking in. And these brothers and sisters in this room, we're here for you. I'll go ahead and apologize. We're going to drop the ball. If you've ever been a part of a family, uh, we're all sinners, right? Things are going to be forgotten. We're going to mess up. But the blood of the womb is thicker than the water of the womb. Or the blood of the cross is thicker than the water of the womb. So what does that mean for us tonight? Where are we holding on too much 
to the way of the world and the families around us and not holding fast to that which is Christ? Where do we need to embrace Christ fully as our elder brother and embrace our new identity as sons and daughters and walk in this new family that we're in? Uh, maybe we just need to say, hey, God, like, I want to walk into this, but I, I still feel like you didn't handle this situation well. I still need clarity. I, I need forgiveness because of this or because of that. So as we take communion tonight, I want you to wrestle with this idea, these thoughts about what does it look like for you to really walk in your new identity as a son or daughter of the king. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to open up communion for all the believers. If you're not quite yet a believer, I'm glad that you're here, but this is something that we uh, reserve for the believers because it means a ton to us, uh, and we'll just be able to pray and respond back to what Christ has done for us. So let's pray. Jesus, we're, we're so thankful. Um, God, we're humbled and uh, honestly just a little dumbfounded in the fact that you love us to the point of making us sons and daughters. Father, we have a new family to walk into. God, we don't understand why you would do that for us. Father, we have a hard time picturing and trying to fathom that fact that you love us so much so that not only did you save us, but you welcomed us into your home. You welcomed us to the table. You welcomed us to the family. So Jesus, as we take communion tonight, would we realize by your grace what we're taking? God, that the blood that was spilt on the cross has made us a new family, has given us a new identity as sons and daughters to you. And because of that blood, that's thicker than any water of the womb. That's thicker than any relationship that we have on earth or will ever have. God, because of your goodness and your grace. God, we've all been hurt and broken by those around us. We've all been frustrated and struggled uh, by being let down. And so maybe we've got our fences up against being a part of a family, of being fully vulnerable and and hoping that people would accept us. But God, you already have. You've already saved some in this room, Father, and your desire is to save more. God, you're pursuing those that don't know you. You want to. You're drawing people into yourself to fully accept them, to fully love them, and to give them a new identity. So Jesus, we love you. And we're thankful for that new family that you've welcomed us into. And so, God, as we take communion, would that hit home for us tonight? What we're taking and what we're celebrating. It's in your name we pray. Amen.